Let's pray. Jesus, there are people here that are struggling. And God, we've asked you to create a community where the love, truth, and compassion of Jesus is forevermore, that it's loud, that it's clear. And it begins with how we love one another. And we love one another because how you have loved us. And when we experience that love, your compassion is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And so God, I just ask you for anyone in this room that has had one of those weeks, that is struggling, that is going through a difficult time, that you would just put your hand upon them. And just as we have our, our eyes closed and our heads bowed, is anyone feeling that way this week? Just raise your hand real quick. Okay? Jesus, you see the hearts and minds. And God, I just thank you for vulnerability because in our vulnerability, Lord, you draw others to yourself. And so God, I pray that as I've made my family vulnerable, that you would make something beautiful happen this morning in the hearts of people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, sometimes I'll do this, sometimes I won't. But um, last week was one of those weeks during church that kind of everyone was just like, kind of walked out like, I had a Kairos moment, this divine moment, like I have to do something about it. Uh, anyone feel that way this, throughout the week? Some things that they had to do? Anyone have to, I know uh, one guy said to me, he said like, hey, I know who I need to go ask for forgiveness for because they've, you know, you know, they've offended me and I've offended them. And so I really want you to be thinking about this coming week that what God started last week, it's not supposed to end today. It's not like, well, that sermon's done and new one's up. It's more of what is God starting? What is God starting? What is He creating? What's going on? And so in that, you have to let the Holy Spirit keep doing His work in your life. And so I just want to ask, it's okay if no one raises their hand, Anyone want to share something from last week? Did anything happen? Anything stand out to you? Anyone have like this Kairos-like aha moment? I'm good with silence. I could be here all day. Even though I have really bad ADD. Anyone? Go for it. Working out a little bit on Mondays and Fridays with my roommate Annie over here. And Annie. Yeah. Shout out. Um, and it's it's been awesome. We were able to use um, our Friday like we will run around the reservation. Uh, we just did it on Friday. I was able to talk about things I was uh, going through. I'm starting a small group Bible study on campus and stuff. I was able to, we we had like an hour of solid God time. It was awesome throughout like the run and uh, and walk campus that far. Um, and then we we're telling friends of ours at the lunch table that we were running and stuff, and they want to join us. And so it's just really encouraging that we're just living our lives, and we were talking about uh, God on this run, and now we're getting, we got to invite two people to run with us. Um, and the same kind of conversation is probably going to happen. Cool. Good. What else? Anything else? Anything else? Okay. Do you know forgiveness is one of the toughest, toughest issues to talk about? That there'll be times where I'll bring up something else and people want to share, but when it comes to... Rich, you want to share? Okay. Okay, you think you should? Go for it.
not that the money was a lot or it was devastating, but just the way he treated what I was trying to propose You know, oftentimes what we talked about last week, if you weren't here, we talked about forgiveness. And we talked about how oftentimes we think about forgiveness, it's all about us. That we're forgiven. And God does this great thing. But when God forgives us, the response of the gospel is not just the re- forgiveness we, re- we receive, but it's actually how we learn to forgive, forgive others. We talked about gospel fluency, and we're going to continue that in that today. We talked about gospel fluency is the clarity and the ease how we understand the gospel, how we apply it to our lives, and then how we share it with others. And oftentimes when we think about sharing the gospel, it's like sitting down and telling them the Jesus story. But actually the greatest way to show the gospel is in a moment like Rich just said, when you have someone who has offended you, that you go to them and you grant them forgiveness as God has forgiven you. That's gospel fluency. When you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not just about you receiving this grace and this mercy and you're sitting there and you're like, wow, I'm so forgiven. My life is perfect and I'm clean. But our response in our forgiveness is that when we receive forgiveness, we forgive others. Just as Christ has forgiven us. And that's the beauty of the gospel. It's not what we get and what we internalize, but it's what flows from us. Know what we say? We say, to know Christ and what? Make Him known. How do you make Christ known the most? By living like Christ. That's how you make Christ known. And this week we're going to be continuing in this gospel fluency. We're going to be talking about gospel fluency. How do we know the gospel? How do we apply the gospel? And how do we share the gospel? Right here I have a square piece of cement. We'll call it a brick. And it's really heavy. I'm getting old. I brought it into church today. I'm like, dude, I'm getting old. And I still work out. But you look at this. And there's a word in Scripture that's talked about all the time. That was talked about in that last song we sang. Christ the stone. Our what? Cornerstone. A cornerstone. Think with me for a moment. 
When you hear the word cornerstone, what do you think about? Oftentimes you think about that little signage on the, on, on the side of the building. Matter of fact, if you walk out here and go right to your left, there's a cornerstone that says, you know, 1990-something, the year that this school was built. You see, what we've done with the cornerstone, it's, it's almost become a novelty. But when you are a mason and you are building something, that cornerstone is the most important block of cement, of stone. You see, the cornerstone is that first block that they make that is perfect, that nothing about it is tainted, that every angle is right, everything is a straight angle, everything is 90 degrees, and the first brick stone that they would put down is that cornerstone in the perfect spot. And everything when is built in masonry with blocks is dependent on that one stone. Think with me. We oftentimes think of houses being built, so we think about wood, right? We think about foundations being the only cement we know. But think about the Egyptians and pyramids. Think about how when they constructed these huge, monstrous, historical landscapes. It's not a building. They were dependent on that first brick. That first one. That every other piece of block. Is there a picture of a pyramid? Mark, you got one up there for me? Every other block was dependent on that one. And looking at those blocks, some of them seem like they're, they're kind of like different shapes, different size, everything. But when they built a pyramid, that first block was perfect. There was no mistakes. And everything was built upon it. When you look at that pyramid, you just think about, we look at it and we just think, oh, that's just a, you know, a, 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 a lump of rocks. But inside, they're tombs. They're sacred places. They're they're these monuments that were built to hold treasures and gifts. As a matter of fact, to the Egyptians, those structures were the most important structures in their kingdom. It wasn't the palace. It wasn't anything else but those pyramids. And every single pyramid had significance. And every single pyramid that was built had one special stone. And what we're going to talk about this morning, last week we talked about forgiveness. We talked about the Gospel, the simplicity of the Gospel. But what we're going to talk about today is the cornerstone, the most important component of our faith. The most important component of everything that we base our eternity on. Everything that we base our relationships with others upon. Everything that we place how we view our worldview upon. Because in our souls, we all have a cornerstone. Whether it's tainted, whether it's broken, whether it's fractured, whether it's on a slightly wrong angle, there is something that we put our hope in. And what we put our hope in determines how we live our lives. 
What we put our hope in determines how stable we live in the midst of a storm. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. What is the cornerstone of our lives? And we would like to be very religious this morning by saying, what is the cornerstone of our faith, right? Doesn't that sound cleaner? But I want to change the question. What is the cornerstone of our lives? What is it that we base everything upon? So turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 1, 16, and 17. And this is a passage that I told you we we're going to stay on for a few weeks. We're going to basically just take this passage and tear it up, rip it apart, because I believe that Romans 1, 16, and 17 is the bedrock of everything that I as an individual stand on. And we as a church have to build our faith upon. Nothing more, nothing less. Because when you really think about it, why do most people struggle with Christianity? Because of the rules, the regulations. They struggle with Christianity because of all the hypocrites in the world that people say they love Jesus but really don't because their actions don't show it. How do you know forgiveness? Because it's the forgiveness that you grant to others. That's Christianity. That's the groundwork. That's the laying of what we're going to talk about this morning. Romans chapter 1, verse 6, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the Scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Let's read this again a little slower. For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God saving everyone who believes. That first the Jew and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. Last week what I had talked about was the big picture what God had done for us. That God loves us so much that He did what? He sent His Son to forgive our wrongdoings. To forgive us for when we turn from God, that when we choose to be like God, when we choose to take things into our own hands, when we choose to live our life in a manner that pleases ourselves rather than Him, He sent His Son that we could have everlasting life. You see, in, in, re, in the next step, what we would be thinking is, well, we should probably be talking about faith then. Because in the Scriptures, it really says, good news, God sent His Son and everyone who believes has faith. But I think we need to step back and look at who the person of Jesus is. Because that's the big question. We can say that we know God and we believe that He sent His Son and that we have this great faith. But my question is, is what do we put our faith in? We put our faith in a lot of things. And we're going to talk about that next week. We put our faith in everything. Certain things that we know that will even fail us. But Paul's like steps back and says, I'm not ashamed of the good news of who? Jesus Christ. And so before we can really jump into what is faith, how do we live our faith? You're like, I've heard that a thousand times, but my question to you is, then why do you still put your faith in the wrong things? Why do I still put my faith in the wrong things? 
Because the question we need to ask is, who is it that we're supposed to be putting our faith into? Who is this cornerstone that we talked about this morning that we sing about? Who is this Jesus Christ? Because all most people believe is one of two things. He's historical, meaning he lived on this earth and he walked on this earth. And yeah, he was a good person. He, he taught real good civil and humanitarian lessons. Like any historian you read, will agree that Jesus walked the earth. That Jesus was alive. That Jesus, He did certain miraculous things, whether they want to believe it or not. That There's so many writings about Him. Thousands and thousands of stories of what He did. Josephus, the greatest historian in all of the ancient times, who wasn't even a follower of Christ, pointed as Jesus. If anyone's the Messiah, it must be Him. And it's interesting because when Jesus walked the earth, He even identified Himself as this cornerstone. He identified Himself as the one that that everything on this earth is grounded upon. He identifies Himself as the fulfillment of Scripture that that when we look at the Old and the New Testament, that, that we can't separate the two. It's not the Jews and the Gentiles anymore. Rather, when we look at at Genesis through Revelations, all Jesus pointed to was the Old and the New are connected because of Him. Because of Him. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says this, He says, then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in Scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is wonderful to see. In other words, what Jesus was saying is as He was being drilled by all these religious leaders, all these teachers of the law, everyone who at first wanted the Messiah to come but but didn't like the way that He had entered into into our world started making lies. And Jesus said, in all of this mischief that's going on, the only stone they're rejecting, they're not rejecting the Old Testament laws. They're not rejecting that God is a Creator. They're not not rejecting that, that God wants to be in a relationship with us. But what they're rejecting is the key component of all of humanity, of all the universe, the key component of even who God is, for God so loved the world. And in that, Jesus says, you're rejecting the most important component of your faith. The first block, everything you put your weight upon, you are rejecting. You see, the question is, there was a point when Jesus was, was with all these people and, and people were following Him and, and He was doing all these miracles and all these signs and all these wonders and, and all of these great things where, where people were flocking to Him. I mean, think about that. If you knew someone could do something so miraculous that it would change their lives, would you care who they were or what they could do? What would you choose? What would you choose? What could he do? If you knew that something amazing was happening, that all of your mortgages could be wiped away by just showing up and listening to Tony Evans down the street, what would you do? 
Would you care about Him or what He could do for you? You would go for what you gain. And we are no different. If I knew that someone was showing up in Hawthorne and would take away my mortgage, I would hop on my 1986 motorcycle, and that's really too small for me, and I would fly down there and I would fight my way into the line to get my mortgage paid off. And Jesus stopped his disciples and he says, who do you say I am? He just says I'm cool because I did something awesome. He said I wowed him. He said I'm a prophet. He said I'm a priest. But the question is, disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter stops and says, you are the Lord. The Messiah. The Chosen One. And in that moment, Jesus, and it wasn't just Peter and Jesus on the side of a beach, it was in in a group of people. He says, you get it. You understand it. And because how you see me, I am going to build my church upon you. Why? Because in that moment, Peter's cornerstone solely leaned on who? Jesus, the Christ. I had this amazing conversation about three weeks ago with a rabbi in town. He's a new rabbi and he... he um, wanted to just meet with me. He heard about the plant church and he heard about all the good things we do in the community and he just kind of wanted to sit down with us and sit down with me and just kind of figure out who we were because his other rabbi said, you got to meet this guy Rob and you got to find out about the plant church and see if there are ways that we can do things for the community. But it's funny, whenever I sit down with anyone from a, a different religion, as excited as they are that they want to build this relationship, it always throws them that, that you're a Christian and what do you honestly believe and as I was sharing with him what we were doing and why we do it and and all these things he kept digging down so what do you believe what do you honestly believe and he literally said this like what do you believe about Jesus what a cool conversation right and I'm like well he's just a good guy he wants me to love my neighbor he's compassionate he's you know no I stopped and he goes do you believe in the historical Jesus or something else. And I said this, I said, I believe in the historical Jesus, yes. But I also believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And his door was wide open. Kids are going in, our, in and out for their training for their bar mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs and they're all singing their song and he's like, woo, 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 woo. You know, probably the wrong question to ask in the temple. And I knew what he was asking. And so this wasn't my like, my time to get on my high horse and start preaching at this guy and start nailing him for what I believe and what he doesn't believe. He said, really? Well, what do you mean by that? I said, I honestly believe with all my soul that yes, Jesus is a historical human being. That He walked the earth. That He did all His miracles. That it says He did. But I also believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That God sent him. Because he loves us. He loves all of us. And it was interesting because at first he started to push into the conversation a little bit. And and I just let him go. I get it. I'm on his turf. 
He invited me to sit down. But the one thing that he knew about me and us is that this historical Jesus is not just this rock star Jesus. This Jesus that's just all happy, but we actually believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God. Because the moment that you say that Jesus is the Son of God, it's a game changer in your life. Forget about the conversation that I had with the, with the rabbi. When you actually say that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, it's a game changer. It means that your worldview that you have looked at as selfishness and all about you, about being a consumer, an individualistic person, you're saying that even in the midst of all my tension, all my wrong choices, that I do believe that there is a Creator and He sent His Son for me. And I think that's a real sticking point in all of our hearts. Do we actually believe who Jesus really is? I mean, think about it. What do you actually believe about Jesus? And, and, and people might say, well, this seems very elementary, but I'll ask you this to the person who's been walking with Jesus for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. If Jesus is the Son of God in your life, how has it radically changed your perspective on everything you do? On how you parent? On how you handle your finances? On how you treat your coworkers or employers or employees? If you actually believe that Jesus is the Son of God, this is the simplest and most difficult question to ask yourself. And I feel like at times, churches dance around this. That we sing songs about this Jesus. Let's just sing it a little louder. Let's play a little louder so we really don't have to hear the words, right? Like, no. Who is Jesus to you? Because when you understand who Jesus is, it changes everything. I had to ask that question on Thursday at 12.57 when I got a phone call during a lunch appointment that my son had an injury and I had to not just take him and check up on him, but I had to walk him from his lockers, bring him into New York City and figure out what the heck do I really believe about God's son? Think about that. Think about the most difficult time you had. Think about last Sunday when you were wrestling through who you had to forgive. What did you actually believe about God's forgiveness? You see, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's the bedrock when, when everything in this world is collapsing and you're standing on this one thing and it seems like everything has gone away and you are here and there's a chasm of mischief and problems and life. Do you find yourself stepping up that, that who is Jesus? Is He actually the Son of God? Do I actually believe that God loves me so much that He sent His Son? You see, I want to define who Jesus is for you this morning by who we are as a denomination. Because I feel like as a denomination, we, we've given Jesus the most simplest, yet deepest, yet dynamic terms. Jesus first 
is our Savior. Do you actually believe that Jesus is the Savior? And let's just see what it says here in Scripture. Acts 4.12 There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Think about that. Do you actually believe that? That God loves humanity so much that He made eternity so simple that there's one path to God. That God didn't create this huge mountain that we love to do. You know, this kind of started in the 90s. We love this mountain and there's all these paths that lead to God. And as long as you're on the path, you're going to find Him. Or do you actually believe that God is so, proud, so profound and yet so simple that He says, I'm going to make it so simple that I'm going to show my love to you by simply coming to earth. I'm sending my son, my representative. I'm sending my child to show you who I actually am. I think about John, Denise's husband. That in that 11th hour, he was came to the realization that Jesus is my Savior. I've seen that over the last several weeks. I've seen so many people that, that have lived certain ways and all of a sudden when they are, they are confronted with eternity, that in the midst of the darkest moments of their lives, that they say, you know what? My hope can't be built on anything else. But Jesus' blood and His righteousness... I mean, think about that. If you actually believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, how do you view who you are as a child of God? Do you actually take that God takes you seriously? That He loves you so much that He has a plan for you? And that in your brokenness, in your sin, in your mess up, in anything you do, I'm going to rescue you. you. You know what we've done with this whole idea of saved and not saved? We've made it a country club. We've made it this country club that like, hey, you're lost, I'm found. And it's almost like we walk around with all these people like almost separating ourselves like, okay, you're the people that are going to heaven and you're not the people that are going to heaven. Think about this. If your child was lost, what would you do to rescue them? If your child was lost in Ramapo Reservation. If the college girls got lost running in Ramapo Reservation, what do you think their parents would do? Everything. Anything. And all the way up until Jesus, God did everything to reveal Himself. And man just closed his eyes and he says, I am going to get them. I am going to rescue them. I am going to step out of my throne and I'm going to. And you know what? That changes everything. That changes everything. When you actually believe that God loves you that much, it's a game changer. It's an identity shift. It's a worldview perspective. There's another one. Christ our sanctifier. 1 Corinthians 1.30 God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and he freed us from sin. How many of us have come to Christ because we have some form of addiction? 
How many of us have come to Christ because we have something going on in our lives that we are broken? Whether it be marriage, whether it be career, maybe you were stealing, maybe you were lying, maybe something happened, maybe that you got in a fight with someone and you realized like, I am broken. There is something messed up in me that God needs to heal. That God needs to change. That I don't want to be the same person. You ever look in the mirror and say, I hate you. That's what drove me to Jesus. I needed something outside myself that was going to set me apart. That's what it means to be sanctified. To be set apart. To know God in the clearest form so I can live out His will for me. I had to come to a place that I believed that I was set apart for God. I remember I used to say, man, I'm just a sinner who sins. And I used to beat myself up with that identity and it almost allowed me to keep sinning, right? It almost allowed me to keep in certain patterns of life. And I had a friend of mine who was one of the persons that discipled me and they said, you're not a sinner anymore. You're a child of God. You are a saint who will sin. And that identity shift being set apart, like, wow, I'm God's child. In his eyes, I am pure, I am holy, I am right, and I'm still going to make mistakes, but he set me apart for something more than this broken world. Jesus, our sanctifier. Why does transformation come? Why is that one person who looks so like broken one day and the next day he's a completely individual? I love the story of Josh. Come here, I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable, but I do. I love what Jesus has done in this man. I love the first time I met him that his wife was all about the Jesus thing, right? The Jesus thing. That's what she called it. And he really wanted nothing to do with it. He's going to lie to you right now, but he was just like, yeah, whatever, we'll hang out. This guy is not the same Josh Pierce than he was three years ago today. He was at a party the other uh, few weeks ago. And all of a sudden, this whole idea of this Jesus conversation came up and he's just like, hey, I believe it. And a couple people walked off. And one person leaned in. He's been set apart. He's been made pure. He's been made right. He's not the same Josh. Does he still have some of his same quirks, Allison? Yes. But the reality is, is he's not the same Josh. In the eyes of God, he is a child. He is pure. He is holy. He is right. And yet, in this human world, he is still broken. Sorry, Joshy. It's a long road. And I love that. Think about that. Savior, why did you come to Jesus? Sanctifier, who is it that's changing your life? Who is it that's transforming you? Is it you? Because you know what? In your standard, you'll never be good enough. Never, ever, ever be good enough. It's like with working out. Let's say you need to lose 70 pounds and you lose 50. At first, you're like, wow, this is great. You're never satisfied. When you get to 70, you're never satisfied. You want more and more and more and more. And you always look at yourself in the mirror with something tainted. It's easy for me to say I've lost over 80-something pounds in my life. There's times I'll look in the mirror and be like, dude, you're broken, man. What's wrong with you? You need to work out harder. And yet, come on. That's my standard. What's God's standard? Jesus is our healer. 
But He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be what? What? Healed. It's supposed to be up there. It's not. Marky, are you sleeping back there? So we can be healed. Healed. Jesus did miracles on His whole journey. And miracles have happened all throughout this world. We as a church have seen six or seven physical healings. We've seen a lot of emotional healings. We've seen a lot of relational healings. But do you actually believe that when the rubber meets the road that Jesus is even powerful enough to heal you? And I'll confess this today. My hope is built on my children's health. Not on Dr. Shabto, not on Dr. Campletero, not on Dr. Cunningham, not on anything but Jesus Christ. And until I see that healing, that is my hope. I truly believe with all my soul that what my kids are going through, that they will see the healing power of Jesus because Jesus heals for one reason, to glorify Himself. It has nothing to do with Brandon. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with any of you. It has to do with God is saying, I want to show you how powerful the Son of God is. He is healer. He is healer. He made the dead raise. He made the walk. He made the lame walk. He made the blind see. He made the leper lose its spots. And He takes away cancer. And He does everything that He desires to glorify Himself. Do you actually believe that? Like, man, you're like, man, I just got to get out of this church right now. This dude is freaky. Do you? But lastly, Jesus, our coming King. Jesus, our coming King. Acts 1, men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday He will return from heaven in the same way he, you saw Him again or see, saw Him go. Do you actually believe not just at the end of your life that you're going to die and go to heaven. Do you actually believe that one day when life is going on, all of a sudden, Jesus, the sky is going to open up and Jesus is going to appear and all those who are His children will be taken up into the glorious sky. And one day, we're not going to just be hanging out in heaven. What He's going to do is He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Do you know that? It's not that he's, we're just going to go to heaven and just flow around. Ah, la, 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 la. It's like, like one big worship concert. No, he's going to create a new earth. He's going to have land. He's going to have rivers. He's going to have animals. And he's going to say, go live in Adam and Eve we're supposed to. That's what he's creating. He is going to create a new heaven and a new earth where he says, you will live there. You will dwell there in perfection. The biggest difference is sin is not allowed. I look at this world, Ebola, what the, what's Ebola? Think about it. School shootings, what? Think about all the things that are going on in our world right now. There are times that I just stop and I'm like, Jesus, come Lord Jesus. That's our hope. Our hope is built on nothing less. I'm going to end right here. Gospel fluency. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? That's the question. 
And if you don't believe that He is what He is, that's okay. This is what this morning's about. This morning's a challenge to step in and begin to say, who is this historical Jesus? Who is this Savior, this sanctifier, that's like some spiritual word, this healer, this coming King? But if He is the Son of God to you, how does your life reflect it? How does your language communicate it? And I don't mean in this, in this gospel moment. I mean when you're at work, when you're cutting your lawn, when you're paying your taxes. And then in those moments of conversation, how you live your life, how you treat your spouse, how you view marriage, how you view finances, everything. When you look at the Son of God, how do you say that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness? That's the challenge for this morning. I want to challenge you this morning. Ask God the hard question. Who are you? Who are you? Because your thoughts and your perspectives will always be changing. But the Word of God stands forever. I know this is pretty intense and pretty hard, but I think sometimes we need to Ask the hard question. I don't want to dance with Jesus. I don't want Jesus to be my friend. You know, I got a friend in God. I'm like, what the? Yeah, that's a good song and I get it, but there's times where you just need to fall on your face and be like, who are you? Reveal yourself. Because I need a Savior. I need a sanctifier. I need a healer. And God, please be a coming king. How is your life fluent in your relationship with Jesus Christ? I want to ask Sue if you would help me with communion. And I want to invite the band to come forward. That's the question I'm asking you today. Who is Jesus And is He your cornerstone? Because if He's not this morning, what a great time. What a great moment. Maybe you're broken. Maybe you're frail. Maybe you're freaking out. Maybe you have no idea what's going on. Maybe you've been looking at everything through your lens of your humanity and God's saying, stop. Look at me for who I am. You're hurt. Stop. You're broken. Stop. I want to put you together. You're hopeless. Stop. Because this morning, is your morning to make Jesus the only solid, stable component of your life. Amen? Amen. Anyone need this this morning? Can you give me a what-what? Yeah. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning we're inviting everyone to the table. Because as we come to the table, we are saying that we need You as the Son of God. God, this is not about a magical prayer. This is not about this moment where where all of a sudden everything shifts. But I honestly believe when I look at the disciples that You asked them, You invited them. So this morning we invite people to the table that are saying, Jesus, I want to know You as the Son of God. My Savior, my Sanctifier, my Healer my hope, my coming King. 
So I invite you, all who follow or desire to follow the ways of Jesus, come and eat and drink the cup. Amen.